Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The opposite of addiction is connection. I know that. I see changes in people when they build positive, strong relationships with other people. Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, and with each episode, it is my mission to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you and provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need and help you discover the power you have within you to build healthy habits and create a life you love. Now, let's get to the episode. On Habits You Love, I have my friend, Brittany. Brittany is not only an amazing mother, wife, and friend, and one of the kindest people that I know, but she also spends her days as a substance abuse counselor, which after getting to know you, I'm like, oh gosh, oh, of course you are. You're selfless and you're so kind and caring. But at the same time, I'm amazed at how you can carry yourself so well outside of work when a majority of your day is spent doing what you do. I mean, you work with all walks of life, like you said, that we'll get more into from homeless people, clients in halfway houses, even successful people that you said, um, and helping them deal with any addiction that they have and get them into recovery. And you're so young too. I was so shocked to to hear that. So I do want to hear a little bit more about you. How did you find yourself doing what you're doing? Did you fall into this by happenstance? Like most people kind of take a path of what they want to do in life and then keep going? Or is there a story there behind all that? Well, first off, I'm very excited to be here and just to be talking about all of this today. I think it's so important to bring awareness to substance abuse and mental health. As you know, you're a huge advocate. So yeah, I'll just jump right into it. I oh, I always try to think like, how can I summarize how I got into this? But it basically, like growing up, I was that party girl, right? Like I loved to party. I was bubbly. I was outgoing. I was super social. Um, and I really just kind of took on that like fun girl persona. Like everyone who knew me knew I was just always down to quote unquote, like have a good time. You can ask my siblings like how they remember me as like a teenager and in my early 20s they'd be like Brittany was always partying or she was just always hungover. Now fast forward when I was 23 I'm 31 now so when I was 23 my mom passed away of cancer and um, that was a really big turning point in my life like a lot of my morals just really kind of started to change. Um, I started just 
questioning like, is this what she would want for me? And one of her biggest like hopes and dreams for me was to go to college, right? And I, I was never good in school. I was not academic. Like I really didn't care that much about really anything except just like having a good time with my friends. So um, my mom kind of forced me before she passed into college. She's like, no, this is not acceptable. <laughs> You're going to school. Like this is how it's going to work. And, you know, I look back and I'm so, so grateful that she pushed me to do that. When I say that I partied a lot, like I used drugs, I, I drank a lot of alcohol and I didn't really know what I wanted to do in school, but I was so fascinated by drugs. I really was. And um, I knew I always wanted to do something to help other people. Like I always kind of had this like good heart. So I kind of put the two together. I thought this is something that would be good, but I didn't really get into it right away. After my mom passed, like she was the glue to our family and our family really just, you know, it, it, it fell apart. Um, my dad, he was like a casual drinker growing up, so to speak, right? Like get home from work and just drink beers. It was very normal. And then after my mom passed away, my dad fell into a very, very dark depression um, and addiction. He turned to alcohol as his coping mechanism. So, you know, I've witnessed addiction from start to, well, I don't want to say finish, but we're still, we're still in it. So in college, I did an internship at a juvenile prison and I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I don't, like, am I crazy? I don't know, but I just really enjoyed it. So I eventually, I'm from Chicago suburbs, little town called Grace Lake. I moved to Florida and I was in the service industry for a bit. And then my dad was still in Florida at the time. Basically, I had wanted to get him to move down here just to keep an eye on him. He had lost everything from his addiction to the point where we didn't even have our childhood homes growing up anymore. Like he was homeless. So I wanted to get him down here to get into um, a rehabilitation center. So I became really familiar with the community and all the resources in the community. And, you know, just kind of fast forward, I work for drug court now and it's it's been a journey, but I love it. Wow. I honestly, I didn't know any of that. That is amazing. It's amazing how you said you wanted to help people, but you didn't know what you wanted to do. But your life experiences, which I think really do combine our passions with our purpose, is usually our experiences and what we go through. Same with you. I always wanted to help people. I was always a very giving, serving person. But for so long, I was like, ah, but how am I going to do it? And then my life experiences brought me to that point of what I'm doing now. So just a quick question. I mean, how is your dad doing? What's like an update on him? Yeah, of course. So he's, he's doing okay. Um, unfortunately, like with alcoholism, um, it, it takes a really big toll on your health and your body. And I know that that's something you've talked about a lot. So he does have some health issues due to his drinking. Um, but he is in a special rehabilitation facility and he's currently not drinking right now. He is in recovery. So, you know, it's really just one day at a time. Uh, that's so good. And it definitely ties into exactly what we're going to talk about with addiction. I, I personally believe that we don't just fall into addictive behavior. And there are so many studies related to addiction being tied to not being able to or know how to cope with traumatic events. And it sounds like that's 
exactly what happened to your dad, maybe after your mom passed. I'm sure every single person you begin to work with is very different. What type of clients do you normally or currently work with? Yeah, so I have worked with clients. I mean, it's it's specifically drug court is a program where you get picked up with drug charges and you're in jail. Um, a judge might grant you the opportunity to work this outpatient drug court program, which basically means you get a chance at recovery. It's the goal is to break the cycle between addiction and criminal behavior, right? So that way they're not releasing them back out to the streets and they end up right back in jail again. They want to give them a chance at recovery and a life of sobriety. So I've worked with people from alcohol users, cocaine, methamphetamine, but my primary clientele now is actually opiate users. So they are extremely intense, all coming from completely different backgrounds. I would say majority of them have some, some very serious traumas, but then the crazy part is, is that with opiates is that a lot of these addictions are developed from accidents or injuries where they were prescribed pain medications and it just has developed into an addiction. So when you are working with these clients and say they have been in jail, but they are given this chance at recovery, where do they stay? Where are they living? Um, it depends. I mean, some, some have housing, some don't, some are homeless. Um, you know, we try, you know, we have a case management team where we try and connect them to make sure that they are housed because in order for them to be successful, they need to be in an appropriate environment where recovery is possible. So, you know, whether that means a halfway house or maybe some type of shelter or, you know, just whatever really is appropriate for their current state that they're in. Yeah, I'm excited to hear a little bit more about what you do with these clients because I have personally seen how the system or the state kind of works against against us and with people. I mean, with both of my parents, my dad went to three different mental hospitals. My mom was in one. They just feed them down this line of it's it's like not a case by case basis it's a very broad kind of like structured the same and I don't feel like they take each individual person and actually really get down to the root cause of what is going on my dad was diagnosed with like five different things paranoia schizophrenia depression anxiety and like the first day I'm like okay all they do is they just while they're in the mental hospitals they're just routine required to take medicine every couple hours and you don't really do much else in there. I mean, I remember we would go visit him and we would have several meetings with the main doctor in charge with my family. We'd all be in this room and we'd be sitting around this table. And I just remember this one time my dad was in there in the summer and the doctor flat out said, he was like, if you want to be home with your family by 4th of July so you can cook out and eat hot dogs, you just need to do what I say and take your medication and cooperate. Like that's basically what he said. So this really goes back to, and what I preach very often is like, we ourselves are the only ones that can decide how we take matters into our own hands. Because I just feel as though doctors or people quote in charge are not really doing what's best for us or or for the patient, but is more so best for, for them and their agenda. Oh, I'm going to make this much money if I give out 
this much medication. So I understand that there is a time and place for medication, but I I don't feel like it's the end-all be-all and it's just band-aiding a bullet wound and not really sustainable long-term solutions. So in your work, what are the things you work on with your clients? I mean, you're clearly not a doctor that can prescribe the medication and, you know, make sure they're taking their medication. So you're working with them on more than just like popping pills, hoping it will all resolve itself, right? So what does that look like from your perspective of how you are trying to help them recover? Doing the internal work. And that's, you know, what I focus on in counseling with these people is doing the internal work. So getting to know, obviously, what the, what they've been through in their life. I create like a treatment plan with them. So it's almost like an outline of everything that we want to work on. So I always encourage them, like, if you could change some things as a person and really work on yourself, like, what does that look like? So if you've been through maybe abuse, whether that's emotional or physical or any type of abuse in your life, maybe that means looking and, you know, defining healthy relationships. Maybe that's working on self-esteem and your self-worth. If you've been through guilt and shame just from everything that maybe you've done or your addiction has caused you to do, you know, processing that, accepting your past. Um, I work on a lot of like relapse prevention based things and coping skills because using is all these clients or people with addiction in general, that's all they know how to do to cope with any type of life stressor is to use drugs. They don't know any other ways of life. So, you know, I always tell them it's trial and error with coping skills. You know, you're going to have to see what fits you, what you like to do. And, you know, it always amazes me the things that um, people will begin to try. They'll say, Brittany, you know, I started like drawing and doing art and it makes me so happy. Or, you know, I started learning how to play an instrument or I started exercising or, you know, just there's such a big range of things that we can work on and that can be used as another type of coping skill to adapt with difficult emotions. And I think that's another part of it too, is when you use drugs for so long, you numb your emotions, you numb your feelings. So these individuals, people who struggle with substance use, they do not know what to do when they feel sad. They automatically want to numb that emotion. Um, so it's really, really important for them to you start to feel again. We, we work on that a lot is processing and just feeling, identifying your emotions, acknowledging it's there and like just having compassion for yourself and realizing, hey, I'm a human. I'm allowed to feel a whole range of emotions I'm going to for the rest of my life. But it's, you know, what I do with that emotion in that time that will make or break my recovery. Okay, guys, so we all know that knowledge is power. And when you know more, you can make better decisions for your body, your health, and your future. There aren't many decisions bigger than having a kid. But for many women, their fertility is one big question mark. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound information about your body can help you make the decision that's right for you. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. You'll get insight into your hormone levels and other important factors that can impact your fertility. Traditional hormone testing at a fertility clinic can cost over $600, but Modern Fertility tests the same general set of hormones for only $179. 
And right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash habits. That means your test will only cost $159, which is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash habits. That's modernfertility.com slash habits. I don't know about you ladies, but my life just feels complete when I have my nails done. It's like an accessory that never goes out of style. I feel more confident and put together when my nails are fresh. If you're like me and always need your nails done to feel your best, you'll love Olive and June's Easy Mani System. It's everything you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. You can customize it with your choice of six different polishes, and this polish does not chip and lasts seven days or more. And the best part, it breaks down to just $2 a manicure. What I love most is that I can change the style up way more than going to a salon for hours when I want a polish change. I don't have to make an appointment, take the time to drive, or pay 10 times the cost or more every time I want to switch up my look. My favorite is the Olive and June press-ons. They look so real, they last so long, they have all different shapes and sizes, they're non-damaging, you can have a manicure in less than 10 minutes, and it's way better than gel. Visit oliveandjune.com habits for 20% off your first mini system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash H-A-B-I-T-S for 20% off your first Manny system. So it's very interesting to hear you say all of that because I have never struggled with substance abuse, but everything you just said, I also had trouble with. Like I had trouble knowing and understanding my feelings and emotions. I didn't know what even emotions were. Like in real time, I couldn't pinpoint, okay, I'm feeling sad right now. I'm feeling angry right now. I was very disassociated from myself and it really did come down to, I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to deal with the trauma that I had been through. Um, I just just so happened that I didn't go that route. I didn't go down the route of trying a drug to numb. I didn't go down drinking. But there are other harmful ways of coping. You know, I fell into a very toxic relationship and that was dangerous to my mental and emotional health. So it's not just about, oh, if you're an addict, you don't know how to deal with your life. I think that could be many different things that, you know, you cope in many different ways. So I just think it was very interesting that you said that because I was like, oh, all of that sounds like me. (laughs) You know, what's crazy that you say that is like, sometimes people don't even have to go through a traumatic experience in their life. It's becoming new, right? That parents are people in general are becoming more aware of like how to teach to feel your emotions, cope with your emotions. Like that wasn't a focus when we were growing up, our parents or, you know, their parents, that wasn't a thing. And now we're starting to recognize, oh my goodness, this is so important to be able to understand yourself emotionally. Mm -hmm. It's just a huge component of like, Life. Totally. I, I love that it's becoming more mainstream. It was definitely not a thing when I was growing up. Um, so I do love that it's becoming more normal to go to therapy and say that you're in therapy. And it's almost like, 
it's almost like, it's a, like a cool thing. It's like, right? are you it's a therapy? Like, yeah, therapy. Yeah, are you, therapy. Are you oh, sweet? <laughs> like we can get along. Whereas right. it used to be a very shameful, you know, ooh, taboo. Like let's not let's not talk about that. Um, just like a couple off the cuff questions. How many people do you think you've worked with? If you had to guess. Oh goodness, like total. <laughs> yeah, I want to say maybe like I don't know between. 100 150 I don't know I usually will have like anywhere from 25 to 30 on my caseload at a time so and they switch out it's meant to be like a year-long program but that really depends so oh yeah yeah that's another question I was going to ask is how far into the process do you go with them is it just till they're good or is it like okay we got to this point now we hand them off to someone else um pretty much till the end to be honest we you know, if they can complete the program successfully, they get to graduate. Some of them will even be able to get their charges dismissed, depending on, you know, their background and what the charge is and things like that. But I mean, I'm with them from the minute they come in that program until, you know, a year later that they can, you know, prove, hey, I can commit to long-term sobriety. I have the tools now. I have the support. I have the mindset. I'm ready to move forward with my life and stay clean and sober. Oh my gosh. that's <laughs> That has to be just such an amazing feeling, seeing someone change like that. It is. It, it's, it's very rewarding with anything in like the mental health field. There's so many pros and cons, right? I mean, it's the most rewarding thing ever. You get to just talk life and speak life and positive things into people, which is wonderful. But then of course, like you're constantly sometimes, you know, my day is one hour with one client, one hour, another client, next, 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 my whole entire day and just helping people process traumas and problems and things going on in their life. And I get home and I'm like, oh my goodness, my emotional energy is my kids are like, Hey mom. I'm like, oh, hi, you like, you know, so it takes a lot to refresh myself. And sometimes I'll just like sit in the car and silence on my drive home. I know I've like posted that on my Instagram a few times. I'm like, just silent car ride. Definitely. Does anyone stand out in your mind of like a really crazy transformation that you've witnessed? I mean, and I don't, I would never be able to specifically say someone, but I can just tell you like, It's happened a lot where, you know, sometimes I'll have someone come in with just like the most unimaginable things that they've been through in their life. Um, I've had people from, you know, human trafficking to, you know, rape and um, just, again, horrific, horrific things that they go through and just to see them evolve and process all of that, accept that they are survivors of their life and, you know, want better for themselves is just such an incredible, beautiful thing to witness. Oh my gosh. I am just in awe of you because, you know, what I do is I always say I have a more laissez-faire approach to what I do. I'm more of like, let me just say what I want to say and hopefully it gets out to the masses in one way or another. And you're very much coming from a, you're helping one person at a time. And that's, that just creates a ripple effect. Like every, the 150 people you have personally helped, who knows that they could go out and help another 150 people per person. So absolutely. And I I don't want to sugarcoat everything either. I mean, obviously, like, let's just say out of that number, not all of them are 
successful when they graduate, right? Some of them do get back into the same lifestyle and the same patterns that they were once in, but that's why it's just so important to like build these tools and like this foundation in your life. You know, it's, it's a lifestyle change. You're literally changing everything about yourself, your thinking, your behaviors, and you have to have that strong foundation and support and people who are going to continue to support you and encourage you because something huge that we say in counseling all the time is people, places, and things. You cannot go back to the same toxic people. You cannot go back to the same toxic places or the same toxic things if you want to see change in your life. I love that. I really want to reiterate that change just literally starts with sitting with yourself. That's the end of it. That's the beginning and the end. It's not glamorous, but it's also not scary or frightening where it's like, oh, I have to go off to this place and be in a rehab and I don't know, do all these things. It's like change can literally start just sitting with yourself. I was just writing out a thing today of like COVID as much as it sucked and it, it did affect a lot of people. It actually like changed my life because I was forced to sit with myself and I journaled and I meditated and I did breath work. Nothing. I've never done any of that before in my life. And I was kind of forced into that situation. But that's really when I started to become more self-aware. I unlearned a lot of negative patterns and behaviors and thought patterns. I learned a lot about myself just being isolated (laughs) in a quote unquote pandemic, whatever you want to call it. So again, and change just definitely starts with you and having that support, like you said. And yeah, of course you can't bloom in the same environment that was once killing you. Yeah. Like like a flower, you got to change the soil if you want to replant in something more beautiful and new. So I think having the support, not putting so much pressure on it and just being like, I just need to sit with myself and, and learn, learn, and then unlearn. Absolutely. And just touching really quick on like what you had said about like journaling and meditation. I teach um, a mindfulness group every week. So exactly what you're talking about. You know, you have to be able to connect with yourself and just sit with yourself in order to participate in those changes that you want. So I love that you say that because it's so, so important. And that just kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about like, identifying your emotions and processing them and whatnot. But things like for some people, like I'm very spiritual for me, like prayer is such a huge component of my life. Gratitude. That's such a huge component of my life to just remind myself like, Hey, you're safe. Like life is good. Everything's okay. Right. And I think if we can just stay in these states of like the presence and gratitude, it just has such um, a beneficial impact on our mental health. Totally. So you said you kind of got into this field, maybe witnessing your dad going through what he's going through. Mm -hmm. How has doing this work affected your life mentally and emotionally? And then how as well as how you're going to raise your two beautiful little girls? Well, you know, like I was saying, it takes a really big emotional toll. And I'm a very sensitive, emotional person. My husband will tell you, like, I'm just such an empath. (laughs) Like I feel for everybody. And even, you know, it's hard in the court system because I'll be like, but wait, this person, you know, and sometimes it's just contradictive, right? If they're not participating and doing what they're supposed to, there's legal percussions, but I just feel bad for everyone all the time. I'm like, but wait, but you know, it's just such a humbling job. And I think it's just humbled me 
so much as a person. And I just going back to that gratitude, it just really makes me appreciate like every little thing in life. I think it's so easy to get caught up in like, just like material things and the things of this world. And it just always helps ground me back to like what's important in my life. As far as like parenting, I mean, it's opened my eyes to so much what we were talking about, right? Like we never grew up with that. Hey, this is how you feel your feelings. And I'm able to work on that with my children. Does it work every time? No, of course not. But you know, I try my best to like help my kids explore their emotions and to be in tune with what they're feeling and how to sit with that emotion and, you know, validate that it's okay to feel that way. So again, like it's such a work in progress. And especially as my oldest daughter, she's going to be turning six this summer. And it's just, it's crazy to see how kids develop and how their emotions develop. And it's, again, just trial and error with everything as a parent. But My husband's really supportive and that's a huge part of it too, because when I get home or I've had a day that is very emotionally draining for him to say, Hey, mom's going to take 30 minutes of just quiet time. And I'll just, you know, whatever that looks like to me, is it scrolling my phone, doing something mindless? Is it watching a show? Is it writing in a journal? Like whatever productive, just quiet me time I can get, that's a huge reset for me. Um, And it helps too. Like I don't, I don't mind going to work. You know, I'm very lucky in that aspect. I wake up every day and I'm like, don't get me wrong. There's days I'm like, oh man, <laughs> right. I'm a human being. I just, I, I really enjoy what I do. So that's a huge part of it too. That's a huge thing I want to stress is the importance of raising your kids to understand their emotions. That's, of course, it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. They're not always going to cooperate, but in the long run, that's, So to me, I think it is more important to have those tools as opposed to like what athletic skills or even being good in school. I I just always, you know, you've heard me say my parents definitely gave us so many good tools and um, took care of us. And we were great. We had everything we needed. We had food, clothing, shelter, all the things. But when real life stuff starts to come into your life and hit you, you have to be prepared with those emotional tools. And I I had zero of them until I was 30 years old, which is so sad. As much as I love my parents and they gave us a great life, I'm now having to be my own parent at 30 years old. And that's not fun. I think what you're doing with your kids is amazing. That's exactly how I'm going to be. If I'm um, a mom one day, I'm just going to be like, (laughs) all right, we're going to talk about your feelings. It's going to be like so fun. Right. What is, so say someone is listening to this and maybe not them, but maybe someone they know is an addict, does have a substance abuse problem and struggles with that. What is just like the first step you think someone needs to do? to turn that around? Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, the first thing is you have to want to change. You have to want a new way of life. You know, not everyone that I get to see wants that change and you're not successful if you don't want it. It's never going to work for you if you don't want it. So, you know, step one, check in with yourself. Do I want to change my life? Right. And, you know, the second thing is being able to reach out for help and accept help. Um, You know, there's so many resources out there. And especially now, as we were saying, like the stigma against mental health and everything like that's really going away. There's so much out there. So, you know, use your resources. This is a huge thing, too. Like the opposite of 
addiction is connection. And as human beings, we just want to connect. We were made to connect with other people, with other human beings. And it's hard, like if you have a family member who uses, right? Like for me, like I, I despise my, like, I love my dad so much, but I despised him so often. I would say bad things and I would make him feel ashamed often. And I'm not proud of that, but I didn't really know how to handle loving someone with a substance use disorder. And I've just learned like support, not enable, but like support is so huge and not shaming because they're, they're ashamed enough of a lot of the things that they've done in their life. They don't need the people that they love more than anything to shame them. So I think, you know, just supporting people as best as you can. And there's that saying, like, you just never know what someone's going through. So just being kind just goes such a long way, you know, and at the end of the day, like if we want to see changes in our life and see changes in the world, we have to be that change. It's it's so important. I just think if that message could spread and everyone got that, right? Like what a good place the world would be, but you know, just accepting help. And I just think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. That would be my word is just acceptance, acceptance of where you are without the attachment to shame. why you're there, how you got there. That was always my thing was like, I've just was so ashamed of where I had gotten, but had I not accepted it and actually taken responsibility, because at the end of the day, you are the one responsible, no matter what is going on in your outside world, the people you're around, you are always in control of your decisions, your environment. We tend to want to blame like, oh, well, this happened to me. And this is why I'm like this, or that person did this to me. And this is why I reacted that way. It's like, I think the biggest thing for me with attaining such high self-awareness and emotional intelligence is like, I'm okay with being like, I'll, I'll accept that. I'll take responsibility for how I just reacted. Like you didn't make me do that. I did that. So yeah, just of acceptance and of where you are and admitting you need help, I think is the definitely the first step. And like you said, wanting to change. It's not enough for other people to want to change for you. There's the saying like, you can't help anyone that doesn't want help. And it just takes time and patience and maybe they'll come around. And then, like you said, the last thing, like being that kind of like beacon of of hope of not forcing anyone to try to change. But if you can set a good example, people watch, people are watching what others are doing. And I, that's why I, you know, I, I really don't go out and like seek, like you need to change, you need to change. I just am me and I'm like, always striving to be the best possible version of myself. And people see that and then they'll eventually come around. Absolutely. I completely agree. Well, the very last question I want to ask, which I always ask my guest is, what do you know for sure? So if you had a megaphone to the world and could say one thing, what would it be? Well, I think kind of just repeating a quote that summarizes a lot of this that I had I had just said is that the opposite of addiction is connection. I know that I see changes in people when they build positive, strong relationships with other people, um, healthy relationships. You know, as, as humans, we we want to encourage each other. We want to support one another, lift one another up. There's just so much stuff that goes on and happens in life in this world. And it's our responsibility as good people to be there for one another and to encourage somebody. 
um, just in any way that you can. And I think, like I said, like just those small changes, I know for sure can help just make the world a little bit better of a place, right? That's, that's, that's the goal. That's what we all want. Yeah, it needs to be a lot better, but <laughs> that's all, <laughs> yeah, that's it's got some work to do. Oh, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and having that conversation. It just reiterates what I believe. And that's why I wanted to have you on because I was like, okay, substance abuse counselor using actual coping mechanisms and tools as opposed to being like, I'm a doctor and I prescribe antidepressants to patients with trauma. So um, that was a great conversation. I absolutely love what you're doing. And I loved getting to hear more about what you do because I honestly didn't know (laughs) that much about (laughs) it. Um, But I just know how bubbly and fun and bright you are. So I'm glad I got to know a little bit more about your story. And we live in the same town. And we need to hang out more. <laughs> I second that. And we so. met, yeah, we met via social media, of course. I know, uh, I slid in those DMs. I know, you like, did. Hey, girl. You slid <laughs> right in there. It's the best DM slide I've ever <laughs> had. <laughs> oh. I'm so glad we're friends. And um, yeah, I just think you're amazing. You're an amazing, Aww. bright light. And thank you. You're grateful. so sweet. And Thank you for having me on here. I really enjoyed talking about this. We will get together soon. Yes. Okay. Love you. I'll talk to you soon. Love you. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.